0: life in Christ wasted there's not a trial that you go through that God has not redeemed by the blood of the lamb you see your failures and your victories are not yours they're his and God uses them all for his glory we looked last week in Acts chapter 10 well we tried to look last week in Acts chapter 10 we never quite made it there about the work that God was doing. And what I wanted to do last week as we were going and moving to Acts chapter 10 was showing you the work God is always doing, that God is always at work. God is always accomplishing His glory for His glory alone. We get to be a part of that. But it's not about us. We are not the central characters on the stage of life. God is. And so as we were getting to Acts chapter 10 and we were looking at the story of Cornelius and Peter, when Peter's on that rooftop and the sheet is let down to him that shows the food that God is saying now take and eat he has no idea what's going on because he's in the midst of something quite opposite of what we're in the midst of right now we're in the midst of isolation or or quarantine as they're calling it he was in the midst of dispersion and the church had gone out from him and and I don't know the days and the moments he sat there thinking well what in the world will we do but God didn't sit there for one instant thinking, what in the world will I do? Because God already had a plan in hand. He already knew the movements and the moments he would make those movements. And Peter sees the sheet let down and the pronouncement of God to take and eat. And I'm fully convinced he had no idea the lesson that God was about to teach him until And the door knock happened and all of a sudden there were servants of Cornelius standing downstairs saying, Come to our master for he too has had a vision. And they explained the vision of the angel telling him to send for Peter. And on the way Peter gets there, and I believe it dawned on him that yes, the Gentiles are for salvation too. God used a dispersion to get the the understanding of salvation that Jesus came and he died and he was buried and he rose from the grave. I believe to the ears of Cornelius that Cornelius would begin a desirous journey that God would indeed save him. And he was being a devout man and a religious man with his family. And then Peter shows up and has the key to the gospel of grace that he unlocks the door of salvation in the whole household of Cornelius we don't always know what God is up to we don't always know what God is doing but I hope when you start looking at the glory of God you realize it's more than just about you you see, we see the tapestry from the backside the knots and the tags and the ties of the thread that have formed a beautiful picture on the front side. And one day when we stand in glory, we're going to look at the front side of that tapestry and go, God, you have been glorious this whole time. Even in my worst day, when I wondered where you were, in my most dreadful misery, when I asked about your sovereignty, even when I didn't sense and know your presence, you were there and there wasn't a moment of my life that you did not hold in your hand. And we're going to see the beautiful work of God unfold before us. And we're going to go, God, you're even more glorious than I even knew you were. See, I wanted you to see the glory of God where without seeing the glory of God when we read the stories of Cornelius and Peter and we go through the account of Acts, then we sometimes can think there's that magic genie of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not a magic genie. He is God. He is God as much as the Father is and as much as the Son is. And the Holy Spirit works on the counsel and coordination of God Almighty Himself in concert with the triune God. But we look at Acts and we see well they did this and this happened and they did this and this happened and they did this and that happened and we think we can unlock a formula to God. You know the formula to God? Repentance and obedience. Humbling yourself before God. Repenting of your ways. Choosing His instead of yours and obeying those ways. And that's showing that you are esteeming Him as God. Well where are we going to pick up with today? Well we're going to pick up In Acts chapter 10, find your way there. But I'm going to sidestep it for just a second because I want you to pick back up with the glory of God a little bit more before we get there. Because I asked the question, and I believe I asked it last week. I asked a lot of questions last week, so I'm trying to remember. But the question was, whose idea was it to create in the first place? You see, Job gets a right accounting of that from the whirlwind itself. When God expresses to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I pulled the string? Where were you when I told the oceans you can go this far and no further? Job, you weren't even there or thought about who darkens the counsel of God. That was the question that God asked to Job. And I'm asking you that question today. Why did God create in the first place? It's His counsel, His purpose, and His will. And in creating... Whose idea was it that God would allow sin to come in and mar creation? Listen, it wasn't Satan's free will idea to come in and mark. God actually caused the opportunity for sin to come in by creating that uh, tree in the middle of the garden that they were not to eat of. And God actually utilized that to bring sin into the world through the serpent. Why? So that his glory could be known where it could not before have been known to a lost and unredeemed people that was in need of salvation. and Whose idea was it that salvation would come in any way? Was it yours? It wasn't. You see, we're well content walking our own way, doing our own thing. But God deemed salvation something that he would graciously, mercifully, and lovingly give to that falling creation. It was God's idea to work that. And when you go back to Genesis chapter 12, you begin seeing the hand of God moving time and time again, showing the purpose that he wants his glory to be known. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. Who knows the land that he wants Abram to go to? God. He Who knows its markings, its acreage, its territory, its, its landscape? Who, who knows the climate that the land is in that God wants Abram to go to? Abram has never been out of his country, but God knows. He says, I want to take you to that land. Not only will I take you to that land and show it to you in verse 2, I will make you a great nation. Abram probably thought, who's going to be my PR guy? Who's going to be my political campaign manager? What platforms do I need to stand on? Do I need to be pro spear or anti spear? That never crossed his mind because it wasn't Abram's doing. It was God's doing. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, you got a pen on you? If you got a pen on you, that very next word is amazing. It's the word A-L-L. In Abram, God is saying to him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But I thought he was choosing out a people for himself, peculiar people for himself, that would be known as Israel, that would be the Jewish people that would follow Abram. And later, Moses. He was. But when we get to Acts and Cornelius and Peter and the sheet, you see that God didn't destine just one peculiar, particular kind of people to be saved but he brought that destiny to every man woman and child in all the world in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed genesis chapter 22 beginning in verse 16 we find this uh, by myself i have sworn says the lord because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son Ah, you know where we're at now he just put isaac on the altar Because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants. Now wait just a second. Which was it? God's going to do it? Or because you've done this? God's sovereignty, destiny, and decree? Or Abram's compliance and obedience? Which was it? Does God rule and reign by his mighty hand according to his own will? Or does our actions bring him to account of the destiny that he's marked out? God is sovereign, but he gives us the grand privilege. Of walking with him in his sovereignty, of going back to what I said earlier repentance and obedience allowing ourselves to be walking in and after the image of God that we might be useful for his purposes and the destiny that he's already marked out and that's where Abram's finding himself having repented of his own will and his own desires knowing that the promise of God that he would give him a son would not be undone why because God's sovereign and knowing that That promise of a son that would not be undone could not even be undone if I lay my own son on the altar and take his life here because God gave me the promise and his sovereignty, my free will is not going to diminish it. And God said, whoa, stop your hand. You've shown you believe. That's God's sovereignty uh, bringing us into unity with it itself. And God says, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies in your seed. All, A-L-L, the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God is sovereign. He brings us along with him. Both are true. as we turn our time to Acts, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, I promise you. But something we didn't spend a lot of time on was Acts chapter 7. So I want to bring you up to the glory of God through Acts chapter 7 and what's going on there before we get to Acts chapter 10 because you can't stop the work of God. And in Acts chapter 7, Begin with me in verse 1. Then the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, brethren and fathers, listen, the glory, the God of glory, look at how Stephen starts his address out. I wonder if Stephen was doing this as much for himself as he was for his audience. I wonder if he was reminding himself of the power and might and splendor and sovereignty of God as he begins this address. I sit down here every Sunday or down there or wherever I come to this podium from, and do you know what I do? I sit there and pray, and I say, God, you are holy and you are sovereign. Would you give me the words of your counsel that your people may be blessed? And the last thing I say before... Before I walk to this platform is I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I've got to remind myself it's not about me it's about Him. And I wonder if Stephen is sitting there and he knows that he's got to give a true and faithful testimony and he needs the courage and the understanding of the sovereignty of God that he says these words not necessarily for the audience although it landed where it ought to but he said these words because he He needed to be reminded of that. He he says, brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory, he starts with glory and he walks with glory, appeared to our father Abraham when he was at Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country from your relatives and come to the land I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the chaldeans and dwelt in haran and from there when his father was dead he moved him to this land in which you now dwell was god not sovereign or was he that's what he's asking to the people he's preaching to did not god do what he said he would do aren't you living here now He goes on, and he says, And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. Oppress them 400 years. Hee old skit would go, oh, that's bad. And I'm dating myself, aren't I? And the other person on Hee Haw would go, no, that was good. Well, how's that good? Because God got to show his glory in a place called Egypt because of the bondage of the children of Israel. And the humanitarian in us goes, But that's not fair of God to subject those people to bondage. You know what's not fair? That God subjects a single one of us to salvation. You don't want what's fair. Because if we all get what's fair, then we will never meet him in the air we will never see His glory in eternity because we don't deserve that. And the fact of the matter is, we just read in Genesis where Abram was called to be the father of many nations and we know that they got bondage in Egypt. Stephen's reaccounting that. He goes on to verse 7, And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, says God. Of course, he brought Moses in to be the judge, to bring that. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision and so abraham begot isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day isaac begot jacob and jacob begot the 12 patriarchs and the patriarchs becoming envious sold joseph into egypt but god was with him and delivered him out of his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of pharaoh king of egypt and made him governor over egypt and all his house Now a famine and great trouble came over the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to our brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died he and our fathers but that's good cuz Israel got delivered and found fa- and found food in the famine no that's bad it's still within the hands of the sovereignty of God i want to preach a sermon in a couple of weeks i think d james kennedy gave this message and we're going to see how the people haven't received from Pharaoh's hands, the sustenance they needed became dependent upon it and was willing to sell, sell, sell and give, give, give till they were actually servants of Egypt itself for the dependency that they themselves needed or so they thought. But it was good. In the fact, that was God's plan for glory to be known. Then Joseph sent and called his father. Uh, we've said that one, I'm sorry. Pick up in verse 17. But when the time of promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till the other, another king arose who did not know Joseph. Everything God said to Abraham, came to Joseph, to Egypt, 400 years of servitude. All Stephen's doing is recounting the works God has completed. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. You get on and you keep reading, you find out Moses is born and Moses comes into the scene when he's 40 years old and he kills one of the Egyptians that's offending one of his Hebrew brothers and then he goes out to the backside of the desert for another 40 years. At 80 years of age he comes back and you pick up in verse 30 of that same chapter when 40 years had passed an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai when Moses Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight, and as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not look. Listen, the glory of the Lord is before his face. And and he's not doing holy barking as some of these offshoot religions claim we will do in the presence of the Lord. He's not doing holy laughing. He's not doing holy dancing. He's not speaking in tongues. He's not running around acting the fool. What Moses did when he saw the glory of the Lord, he went, excuse me, I don't need to be here. Because it's so other than we are. Then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet. For the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. We already know he didn't see it and go, Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. He already told Abram it was. Remember? For I have seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their groanings and have come down to deliver them. And now come. And, and, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be the ruler and deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. That's what Stephen's preaching to him. What's untrue about what Stephen is preaching to him? All he's doing is quoting Scripture. And in his quotation of Scripture and his preaching to him, what do they do to Stephen? That'll stop him. They stone him. And they kill Stephen simply for walking in the truth. My friends, we have this misconception. That if we do right and we live honest and we live in integrity and we do good that everybody's going to treat us well. That's a lie. Because unless you're expressing the same opinion that they want you to express they're not going to like you and they're not going to want to be buddies with you. Matter of fact, what's going on right now in this country is foolishness running rampant over this country and people doing what's right in their own eyes. But I beg you... And I ask you not to look at your own eyes, not to look at your own heart, not to look at your own understanding, but to absolve yourself of those things and say, God, what is the right way? What is the right means? What is the right heart? What is the right mind? And let God. God fill you with His presence so that one day when that challenge comes and that persecution knocks on your door, you're able to say there is a God in glory and I have seen and I have understood that He is greater than you and when He takes me home, I'll be right where I belong. And you can walk through any trial in that way. You know you're living by faith. Faith that's founded. And substantiated on God Himself. No greater faith is there than that. You say, but I'm not Stephen. I'm not Moses. I'm not Abram. That's all right, God's still in, at work with you. You know how I know that? Oh, I love this verse. Turn to First Corinthians chapter 1. Pick up verse 21. For since, in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. See, the world looks at the story of Job and the foundations of the earth, the story of Genesis and the creation and the explanation of sin, the fall of man, the people who live faithfully, believing in an almighty, all-glorious God. They look at that and they say, you're not smart. You're not wise. Let me convince you, if by force, if necessary, that you should walk in our ways." You go back to God's word and he says, they're not going to believe. They're not going to listen. They're not going to hear because they're wise in their own eyes but the foolishness of the cross has come to you. And we believe that God loves sinners and He died to save us, to give a ransom, to pay the price for our sins in our place, to deliver us from the bondage that is due us for all eternity, that God did that for us, not because of anything I am, but because of all that He is. He did that. That's what Paul is telling the Corinthians well look at verse 26 for you see your calling brethren that not many wise according to the flesh sometimes I look at myself and I say God why do you bother he says because from the more foolish I get the more glory not from the wise according to the flesh Not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory In his presence, we can't take credit for any work of God. When you walk faithfully and you see yourself living fruitfully and God is producing in you works that are bringing others closer and closer and even into the throne room of God as they receive salvation there is not one moment of that that you can stand back and go and show the Superman emblem on your shirt because it's not you it's him No flesh should glory, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Why? Because he's the only one worthy of it. God's works comes by his own hands. Turn to Acts chapter 10. See, I told you we'd get there. Pick up in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out onto the Gentiles also for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God then Peter answered can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord then they asked him to stay a few you've read all that and you see that God is the one that positioned people to share that news God is the one that gave the vision God is the one that brought Peter to Cornelius God is the one who gave creation as an evidence of the glory of God that we would even desire to pursue him in the first place and God is the one who gave the record of God's works that dispersed the church because of persecution and then united the church because of salvation going to the four corners of the land, God is the one who did all that. And you and I don't define it and we don't control it. And when you get to Acts chapter 11, read verses 1 through 3. Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him. saying, you went into the uncircumcised men and ate with them. You see, that wasn't their definition of church. That wasn't their definition of salvation. They believed it was just for the Jews. And they were calling Peter on the carpet for that. But you know what you can do? Only thing you can do Is a test to the works of God that you know. That's all you can do. You can't make people believe. You can't make people trust. But just a test to the works of God that you do know. That's all Peter did. He simply attested he didn't dramatize it he didn't put on some kind of show in front of them he just simply started teaching them the works of God that was going on that he saw and he knew and beginning in verse 4 of chapter 11 Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning saying I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision an object descending like a great sheet from heaven came down on me it by its four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals and of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. You heard this story before, didn't you? He's just relaying what God had said. That's it. Look at verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. He's simply telling them what he saw, what happened. Look at verse 16. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. And how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Church, it's a good thing to remember. It's a good thing to remember what God has done in your life. What God has spoken to you through his word. What God has used you for, for his glory. So that you... Keep firm and foremost that God's got this. He remembered what Jesus had said. And he relays that remembrance to those in Jerusalem. Look at verse 17. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could withstand God? Peter had a decision to make. To agree with God and attest to the works of God or say, you know what? You guys are right. This faith, this salvation, this forgiveness, it's just for us. Church, we have that same decision to make. Who is salvation for today? just the ones that already belong, or the world around us that God is calling to himself. You see, Peter had to say, I'm just going to believe the works that God has done. I'm just going to attest to the things that I have seen and I have known. I'm just going to share that God is good, and he did something with the Gentiles that brought them the same salvation that it brought us. And the believers in Jerusalem have to make that decision too. Look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance of life. The attestation that you would have the testimony, as we call it, should always be centered around the works of God and what God has done in your life. And this means, first and foremost, as you remember, that you have to be able to recognize the works of God that He's performed in your life. You have to be able to recognize, yes, on this day, maybe you don't know the exact date. Maybe you can't say December twelfth, 1967. Maybe some of you weren't even born on that holy day because it was a holy day because on that day God saved somebody. And maybe your date's different. Maybe you don't even remember your date. But do you remember and can you recognize and can you attest to and share a testimony that on a day I remember it because I heard the preacher preach. I remember it because my VBS leader said this. I remember it because my mama was sitting at the table when she told me about this. I remember it because I remembered that I needed a Savior. Can you remember a day that you understood you needed a Savior and that you said God please save me. Do you recall it because if you do you have an attestation you have a statement, you have a testimony that you can share with somebody about the works that God has done. And when you share that, don't think if somebody looks at you and goes, you're crazy or if somebody looks at you and go, "Who? I need that same Savior that there was anything about you to bring them to either one of those decisions. The fact of the matter is, it was only because the Holy Spirit got involved in Peter's testimony at Cornelius' house that they trusted and believed it was only because the Holy Spirit got involved when he shares this with the Jerusalem council that they go, oh, Gentiles can be saved too. And your work and attestation and witness is only empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Do you have that? Do you have that witness? And are you willing to share it? There's a world that needs Jesus. And I dare not say, now more than ever, Because there's a world that has always needed Jesus. And they continue to need Jesus. But are you being the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Giving testimony to those people right here and right now. Not taking credit for yourself. But simply talking about what you've seen and known and heard. Because that's the only way that the Holy Spirit is going to empower that salvation. He's chosen to use you. He's chosen to use the church. And I hope and pray you can attest to the work of God in your life, recognizing it, remembering it. That God has given you forgiveness and God has covered your sin. Now explain it to somebody. That's all Peter did. God gave him forgiveness. God covered their sin. He's done it for you. Tell it to another. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the fact that you've done that great miraculous work which is beyond compel of whispering all of creation into existence. For the fact is you took mass, matter, and energy and you created the systems and the ebbs and the flows of the dynamics that we see around us. And when you created that, you created it and called it good, very good. But God, then you created a willful, disobedient person. And you called them to repent. And to obey. And that willful disobedient person. Many times over. Clenches their fist at heaven and says no. But oh God. You draw. And that willful disobedient person. By the testimony of the saints. And the work of the Holy Spirit has oftentimes said, yes, God, I need a Savior. And has bent their knee before you, God, saying, I repent of my sins, and I trust in you for salvation. And you cover it. You cover their sins by the blood of the Lamb. You cover their sins and remember them no more. And you gift righteousness, God. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Please stand.